0: Would you pray with me? Gracious God and Father, what a beautiful name we serve, the name of Jesus. We praise you for this day that you have ordained, that you have brought us to this place. We can come to worship our Lord, our King, our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for each woman you have brought here this morning and for the shared fellowship, the opportunity to open your word together to learn from you and to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Lord, we thank you for this great gift of being together, for the power of your spirit to work among us and through our time together. Lord, we commit it all to you. We pray that you would receive honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, would you stand again for the reading of God's word? I'm just going to read a little of the text from Hebrews that speaks to our um, gathering here this morning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, and since we have a great priest over the house of God— let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in some, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated. Is this echoing to you all? Yeah. It's too loud. Okay. Is that better? That's better. It is so good to see each one of you this morning and to welcome you into this place. And that's what we're doing. We're coming together to open the Word of God, to be taught by Him, to receive from Him, to be mutually encouraged. And you join, ladies, the legacy of women for 23 years who've entered this place, this Bible study, Habits of the Heart, to come and study God's Word. So my name is Tana Henry, and on behalf of the entire uh, Habits Ministry team, I'd just like to welcome you this morning. Old friends and new, many of you I know, and so good to see you back, and Fresh faces, we are so glad that you are here and warmly, warmly welcome you. Our prayer truly is, as we sang, that the Lord would be our vision, that he would open our minds, our hearts to hear what he has to teach each one of us. We're each coming from different places, even this morning, but in our lives, you represent um, so many different experiences and um, things that are happening. So as you come together in this place, We bring all of those, don't we, with us. Life happens, and as we come together and we gather around God's Word and we worship Him, we gain perspective. So that's our prayer for you all this morning. As we come uh, each week together, you'll, you'll come to this room to gather for worship and a teaching from God's Word before traveling back to your discussion groups in the uh, back part of the building, you'll go there in a few minutes and receive your binders, meet your group and your leaders, and let that whole sweet fellowship component begin. And through these years of shared fellowship, uh, worship, studying God's Word, it really gives us a taste, just a taste of what we were really created for, for fellowship with our God and our Savior, and for a community with one another. So that will all happen in our time together and it's really a beautiful thing and it serves more as a catalyst to a greater truth and that truth is a hope that we find in Jesus Christ a hope that can never perish, spoil or fade this morning um, is a bit unique in the life of our body uh, we have a funeral happening here this afternoon. A family in our body has experienced a profound loss. And many of you have entered this building in the same manner I did this morning with a heavy heart. And in some ways, it feels like we're just going through the motions. But the Lord will meet us here. In whatever place we are, he'll meet us here. And even our text in Hebrews speaks to times like these. From Hebrews four 16, we're invited. We're invited by the Lord. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So in time of great need for this dear family today, He will meet them, and he will comfort them, because they trust in him. But because of that, our morning together will be a little bit different. At the end, we will uh, dismiss you to your discussion groups in the back and conclude our time around eleven this morning, instead of the usual eleven fifteen. At that time, we just ask that you would exit through the back or the sides of the building. There will be preparations happening up in this area for the funeral. So, in honor of that family and to respect those preparations, if you could enter or exit through the the back of the building, we'd appreciate it. So, you could be a thousand different places this morning. But in God's providential plan, you are here. You are here, and we're so glad that you have come to share this time with us. And you've committed to the same thing as look at the person next to you. You all signed up for the same thing as you come and we study this, this book, this rich text of Hebrews and consider Christ together. As we consider Christ in Hebrews, we should also think about where uh, we're all coming from. Again, all coming from different places. And some of you may be considering Him for the first time. You've heard about this Christ, you're curious about Him, and you've come to learn more. Some of us have become too comfortable with our Christ and need to consider afresh the message of truth found in Hebrews that compels us to press on to know him more fully and to love him more deeply. Some of us may be in a great time of suffering or trial. And this text will meet us there as we're reminded to stay the course and to hold fast to Christ. But this I am sure, he has something for each one of us. I'm also sure that we would not step a, forward, a foot forward without the covering of prayer. And I just want you all to know that you have been prayed for. As you registered for this study, as the study was being written and prepared and formatted and tested, it's been covered and lavished in prayer. And each one of you are prayed for on a regular basis. We'll hear more from Roberta Ash at the end of our time about that ministry, but it's an important part of what happens here at Habits. And we've penned a prayer in the study guide that you'll read later, but I'd like to read it for you here this morning. Our prayer is that studying Hebrews would spur us all to consider and believe in Jesus Christ. May faith and hope in Christ, the great high priest seated at the right hand of God, encourage us to seek, serve, and worship him in every aspect of life. So in our remaining time together this morning, we'll just step into an introduction to Hebrews and prepare our hearts and our minds for this text. John Piper, one of my favorite authors, has penned these words. For me, the glory of God and the word of God are inseparable. I have no sure sight of God's glory except through his word. The word mediates the glory and the glory confirms the word. So we have the opportunity as we open our Bibles to see the very glory of our God. He has revealed it to us through his living and active word. So this privilege of Bible study is just that, the opportunity to see his glory revealed to us, and it is a gift. So we come with this title of Hebrews, to consider Christ. And I've been thinking a lot about our current state of affairs and the overall condition living in the hearts of our generation. This um, pervasive belief in heaven and good people going there, the watered-down truths, the quest for tolerance, the the glorification of self, the pressing in of the world and the flesh. There's a mentality of heaven is available to all, and that good people will go there, a pervasive um, default assurance, almost, and a mentality of choosing your own destiny. We also battle the temptation to live existentially, believing we're the sum total of our experiences. And we face a generation that's tempted by, to measure worth or success, or others' worth or success, by performance or achievements, by bank accounts, social status, by career accomplishments, and the list goes on. So much of our modern-day thinking is self-centered and misinformed. And we pursue the things of this world with such vigor, but we have no eye for the eternal. A recent uh, survey revealed that for the first time, most Americans now depend on their own logic, their own tradition, or experience to formulate their beliefs. Few actually take the word of God as the basis for their belief. I don't know about you, but that's alarming to me and very concerning for the state of our generation, for our culture. So where does Christ fit into all of this? Where does Christ fit into our concept of life and ourselves and the world around us? The definition of consider is to think carefully about something, typically before making a decision. To think about and be drawn toward a course of action. You see, ladies, the gospel demands a course of action. Jesus demands a course of action. It's not a point where which we can just be neutral. So his words to his disciples were something like, take up your cross and follow me, right? He asked them to leave their lives and follow him. This whole call to faith is an active pursuit of working out that which he has worked in by the power of the Spirit. So a question for our generation that began rolling around in my mind when I thought about all of the different things that are going on in our world and the different worldviews that are shaping our culture. I thought about this question that was posed to me years ago, that if you could... Have heaven, this concept of heaven, this better place, if you could have heaven and all the pleasures that you've ever had on earth in a perfect form, if you could have all of the relationships that you love with no pain or suffering, no death, any of that, you could have all of the beauty that you have ever beheld with your eyes and enjoy any physical um, pleasures of the senses, would you be satisfied? Would you be satisfied with that? The bigger question is, would you be satisfied without Christ in heaven? Because if that's the case, if we look forward to all of those things, more than we look forward to Christ, we've missed the mark. Because Christ is the goal of our faith. Christ should be my deepest aspiration and my greatest joy So Hebrews hearkens a resounding answer to all these thoughts and bears an important message that Jesus Christ is superior to everything and everyone in all of time. There's nothing better than him. Everything that we've experienced good in this life, in this flesh, is just a, a little taste of foreshadow of what will be fully recognized in Christ. So it really is a stunning presentation and proclamation of Christ, the Messiah, the author of the new covenant, and our perfect great high priest. It is a victory chant for those who know and love him. But it's also a strong warning for those who have not put their trust in him or who have refused him. The dominant theme of the book is the superiority or the preeminence of Christ, that he is better than anything. He's better than anything that the Old Testament had to offer in institutions, in rituals, in sacrifices. And the message is still true for us today. He is better than anything we can contrive in our minds, that we can create, or anything that we can aspire to in our flesh, or anything that we can create in our own sufficiency or strength. So let's consider the backdrop of this epistle. This letter to the Hebrews was composed in approximately 64 to 69 AD by an unnamed author. And it was written to a persecuted, suffering group of Jews somewhere in the east. We don't know the exact location, but we do know that this Jewish community had been evangelized by the prophets and the apostles. And by the time the letter is written, there is a local congregation there who is committed to the faith. And while we don't know the author, the one who penned this sermon letter is confident of the salvation and hope that rests in Christ alone. And he um, develops a poignant teaching and exhortation to his comrades in the faith as he writes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Interpreters widely acknowledge this author as an intellectual, and that is evidenced by some of the uh, passages that we will even read together one found in Hebrews 5:13 through 14 where he indicates distinguishing good from evil requires that followers of Christ must become doctrinally mature. So in order to have a mind that discerns good from evil, we must become doctrinally mature, understand the things of scripture. But while he is notably considered an intellectual, this author is not a detached academic. He is deeply deeply passionate about his faith, His devotion and passion for his fellow Christians is evident in his writing. Even more, he's passionate for his Christ, and he makes a strong case for clinging to Christ. That truth is on display in passages such as Hebrews 12, where he pens these words, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Powerful promises. Powerful exhortations. We will come across those words, let us, several times in this text as this author urges us toward faith, toward Christ, holding fast. So he is addressing two primary related threats to these people. One is persecution. They are being pressed in. They have experienced persecution for being Christians. In light of the challenges, the audience is called to persevere. Some have begun to neglect basic Christian teaching and doctrine. Some have given up meeting together. The second issue he's addressing is formalism. He addresses the issues of the heart and the drifting away by temporary practices. They and we were tempted to put hope and trust in tangible things instead of the eternal things, and those distract from Christ. So Hebrews really has two primary purposes, to exhort and encourage Christians to endure and to hold fast to Christ. And then to warn not to abandon faith. So we will come through this series of exhortations and warnings in the text. And I want to unpack that a little bit for you this morning because it's really important that we understand the context of the exhortations and warnings. That we don't simply see them as a judgment that is laid on these people or on us now as the readers. But that we see them truly out of this heart of love the author has for the people of God. The warning passages appear throughout the book, and they have a crescendo effect, increasing in urgency and in severity. The teaching and the exhortation flow through the book, and if we remove the exhortations, the letter would just be one long argument about Christ's glory and greatness in the gospel. But the exhortations are firmly planted to make sure the implications of the gospel hit the readers. This is teaching for transformation— These words are meant to stimulate action and to really call these people into a faith relationship with Christ. The warnings also fit right into the argument. Hebrews holds up Christ as the object of our faith and then exhorts us to trust him and keep trusting him and keep trusting him. The warnings then press the message home by demonstrating the necessity of trusting Christ. There's no other way. So the warnings may strike us as harsh when we get to them, but if we truly understand and grasp the love this author has for his audience, we can instead see them as a loving exhortation and a word of confidence that is speaking life into these weary people. As I was thinking about the context of this letter and the love that this author has for his people, I was reminded uh, of—so we have three daughters— Haley Grace is 10, and then we have two daughters in college. Riley's 18, a freshman in college. Shelby is 21, a junior. And when Riley and Shelby both left for college, I was compelled to write them a letter. And the letter really was one of expressing great love and affirmation to them. But it also was intended to exhort them, to live out, that which they knew to be good and true and beautiful. You see, they'd grown up in the arms of the gospel. They knew the truths. But college has a way of distracting from those things. And the world presses in. And the letters were written to affirm them, to exhort them, and to strengthen them. To press on to live out what they believe, to cling to to good, to resist evil, to leave elementary teachings and move on to maturity in Christ as they make their faith their own. So by handing these letters over to them, I in no way wanted them to feel um, as though I was judging them or that I did not believe that they they could do these things. But instead, it was um, an attempt to infuse confidence into them and breathe life into this new season of life. To encourage them to hold fast to faith and to say, I believe in you. In a similar manner, this author is seeking to affirm those who have placed their faith in Jesus while simultaneously challenging them to hold fast to Christ. To keep trusting him. To advance their faith in spite of persecution, in spite of the world and what was going on around them. In both cases, both my personal one and in this letter, to hear the warnings without the intended message of love would miss the mark. So as we read and study together, let us remember the author's intentions to build these people up, to build them up in their faith and cause them to press on. He's in no way condemning or even communicating that he expects they will fall away or fail. The warnings are God's means to preserve his people in the gospel. So in the book of Hebrews, there is a confidence and assurance to the Christian. A confidence and assurance. If you have accepted Christ and he is your savior, this is a a voice of confidence and of blessed assurance to you. But in the book of Hebrews, there is also a warning to those who are intellectually convinced that there is Christ but have not done anything with it. And finally, there is a convincing presentation to the unbeliever who is not intellectually convinced that he indeed does need Christ. And it is a tender call to come and receive him. The message of Hebrews can be summed up in three words. Christ is better. Christ is better. In his quest to prove the superiority of Christ, the author lays out a clear message. Throughout our study, we will encounter some um, main themes or topics. I won't go into those today, but I will just read them for you to keep in the back of your mind as you enter into this text. We will see God in Hebrews. We will see the identity and supremacy of Christ, salvation, exhortation, and warnings, and worship. We'll see all of those threads and themes woven through this text and through our study throughout. Some have said the book of Hebrews is one of the most challenging of the New Testament. It offers so much that we may never uncover but a small portion of what it teaches. Yet we can benefit from many ways, in many ways, from its complex teachings. As modern followers of Christ, we face temptations to avoid troubles just like these Jews that were persecuted, experienced. And we're tempted to fall away from that which we know is true. But if we'll open our hearts to hear how the author of Hebrews exhorted his original audience, we will see and also be convinced how compelling it is to stand strong in our faith no matter what we face. So many of you have come this morning with burdens on your hearts. And uh, our family has been in a particular season of um, trial with a physical challenge that my husband has faced. And it's in those times when self sufficiency is stripped away, when our human frailties become so very clear and our weaknesses are highlighted. But it's also a time when the nearness of the Lord is palpable and we are able to experience the truth of promises like, in our weakness, He is strong. And that we can find refuge in the shelter of His wings. And that He will never leave us or forsake us. And that He has come, that we may have peace in this world. We will have tribulation, but we should take heart because He has overcome the world. So we started this journey about four to six months ago with, with my husband's physical challenge and he went through surgery and we've all been praying many of you thank you've been praying for his healing the Lord has not healed him yet we've had a surgery and he has lost about 30 pounds and very weary mind, body, and spirit very weary but never closer to the Lord and at night I uh, go in to check on him he goes to bed long before I do These days, and I go in to check on him and I hear him listening to podcasts on suffering or listening to the audio Bible of Psalms as he tries to rest. And the other day he came home and he said, Tana, my prayers have shifted from, Lord, would you heal me, to, Lord, would you cause me to be faithful? Would you cause me to be faithful in this? And would I not miss whatever it is you have to teach me? So that's become my prayer for him. And that's become my prayer for our family. And it's now my prayer for this precious family that I spoke of earlier. Who've endured a a much greater loss, profound loss. There really are no words. But the promises are still true for them, all of them. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, they're still true. So no matter the circumstances, no matter what we feel, no matter the outside pressures, no matter the the world, the flesh, the Bible is still true, and the promises are still true, and our Christ is still on the throne. Hebrews says, this hope is an anchor for our souls. So I pray it really is. I pray it really is an anchor for our souls. And there are times that I've questioned, is it really? Is it really true? Are these promises really true? Just like these Jews. Well, maybe I can just muster up the old, my own strength and, and get through this. That's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. No measure Of any strength in our flesh can do it. Can save us or sustain us or strengthen us or comfort us. But the word of God can and the message of truth because of Christ can. So joy and sorrow mingled down, beauty and brokenness residing together. It's all sacred. And we don't understand any of it. George Guthrie uh, quoted these words about Hebrews. The Christian life is fraught with trials that suck the emotional winds from our sails. When discouragement comes, the kind of s- discouragement that screams questions at our faith, we need encouragement and perspective. We need the community of faith. We need, to help, we need help to stay the course of commitment. Hebrews was written to offer such help. So for for such a time as this, in our culture, in our personal lives, Hebrews was written for those people then and for you and I today. The living, active word of God. And I'm confident he will meet us here each week. And as you go about your private study at home and you get these binders, you'll get these binders in your rooms in a few minutes and you'll open them up this week and do your first lesson and in subsequent weeks, you'll go through these lessons and he will meet you there and he will teach you. And as you bring the binder and come and hear the message of truth and then travel back to your rooms and share the interaction with your um, fellow comrades in, the, in that discussion group and life happens, we'll continue to learn and trust in these promises in this Christ all the more. So I'd like to end with an old hymn. Um, the words are appropriate. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So would you like to close your eyes and just listen to this for a minute? O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, He passed and we follow Him there. Over sin, over us sin no more hath dominion, For more than conquerors we are there. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe in him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory So we do that even now, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. We ask that your will would be done in this place, through this ministry and the hearts of these people. And Lord, we will be sure to give you all the glory and honor and praise. Amen. So at this time, I'd like to invite Roberta Ash to come up and tell us a little bit more about the prayer ministry and the uh, prayer box.
1: Thank you, Tana. That was beautiful. It was a wonderful way to start this. Uh, It was great to hear these different perspectives, uh, which all take us right back to Christ. Um, As Tana said, my name is Roberta Ash. I've participated in Habits since about 2008. And I don't want to add up the years now, because my mind isn't going there. But each year has been such an amazing blessing. I praise and thank God for women who are this committed to developing a curriculum that is right where I need to be every year. And uh, so, with saying that, I'm honored to be uh, invited to participate in Habits this year as leading the um, uh, prayer resource team. And right now, I'm a team of one, but team. <laughs> Team. What does that mean? Uh, it means that I'm going to be praying uh, for people specifically to come alongside and assist in this ministry. Because this is a ministry that is ordained by God. And I believe that all of us are called to pray, as we well know. But specifically, um, I ask that each one of you pray and see where God might be leading you to lead in the um, Uh, perhaps assisting in this this is the prayer request box and it's going to be located back on that table um, where you got your name tags and it um, is for people who have a special prayer need perhaps it's something that's very personal uh, and confidential you don't have to have your name on it it's not a part of prayer because God knows who you are And second of all, uh, there'll be little cards that are also going to be available in the discussion group uh, where you go for your discussions. Um, So if perhaps you think of something and uh, God says, ask for prayer in this, um, these will be prayed for and prayed over, and we uh, give it to God to uh, answer. Um, One of the things I have learned in these past years is that God is never surprised by what is going on in our life. He knew about it before we were born. And He is right there with us no matter how awful it is or how joyful it is. He walks beside us. So, knowing that, I just ask that you feel free to Um, share your requests so that other women have the honor of praying specifically for you thank you
0: okay well now the fun begins so we will at this time dismiss to our discussion groups but I am going to highlight your leaders some of you received that sweet phone call and um, heard that voice on the other line but you have no idea what she looks like so, we'll take a minute to introduce our leaders, and I will uh, also just remind you of the room number that your group is meeting in. And you will enter into that time. And I tell you what, ladies, one of the greatest joys of this ministry really is the coming together of these groups, and you begin.